You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. I just want to add to what Brandon said in that prayer. Just kind of uh, not an admonishment, but maybe an admonishment, maybe an exhortation to us that when we think of Dakota, do I have your attention now? I want your attention right now. What we've seen God do in Dakota's life is a miracle of biblical proportion. Amen. Don't, don't be deceived. At the height of the crisis... There was nothing but God. No one has ever recovered from the disease that he has. Not, there's not one case of a recovery from the disease that he had. Mm-hmm. When they pulled the tubes, they said, you can expect your son to die within three or four hours. And he went the other way. He recovered. This is a miracle of biblical proportion. Amen. My concern. At that point, it was all God, and everybody knew it was God, and now all this hoopla has come in around this, and I'm afraid God is moving from first position. He's drifting back in with all the things that are going around, and we have got to remember, at least for ourselves, and wherever we have opportunity, make sure others know this was God, and this was nothing short of God performing a miracle, a biblical proportion. Okay, would you stand with me? Chris, if you want to come and take your position over here at the side. And as Chris comes, before I even begin the message, Deb has something she wants to share with us. Um, I was listening to raise a hallelujah this morning, and that also was written because of a miracle that happened in their congregation. A young boy was also being prepared to die, was airlifted to a hospital, and because the church raised up prayer and a hallelujah to the Lord, that young boy was healed. Completely. We're seeing the same thing with Dakota. The other thing this man said, and before we stretch out our hands for our own healings, he said we each have a hallelujah in us. My hallelujah doesn't look like your hallelujah. My hallelujah is for me. And it's mine to claim and to ask the Lord to heal, to to come into me and to fill me and to make me his own. So let's close our eyes and we're going to stretch out our hands and we're going to raise our hallelujah Hallelujah. for yourself as I pray. Hallelujah. So dear Heavenly Father, we first of all praise you and we thank you because you are God our healer. There is no other. The enemy of this world would like us to believe otherwise, Father, but we know better. We know from your word and from the witnesses that you have set before us that you are God our healer. So I pray for each and every one here that you would raise, that they would raise their hallelujah before you, that you would heal each and every ailment that is here today, Father, that you begin to work in our congregation. And Father, it doesn't have to be a physical ailment, a mental ailment, a rift in our family, but Father, you want to heal us. And Father, we praise you alone and thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, 
Amen. Stretch forth your hand to heal. Thanks, Deb. Um, you may be seated. You're going to stand in another minute, but you may be seated. First, I want to say thanks to Dan. Can we give Dan an, an acknowledgement? He filled in and preached for me last week. That was last week, wasn't it? That was last week, right? The way time flies, I, the way you looked at me, I thought maybe that was a while ago. And Steve, for that prayer, that was two weeks of pent-up prayer that came out there, wasn't it? You were away for two weeks. You know, the last time that we spoke, the last time I was in the pulpit, we're looking at the book of Acts and we're in chapter 9. We've been pulling out some lessons from this chapter related to the conversion of Saul. Today, Acts 9, 1 through 19, further lessons from the conversion of Saul. Lost souls matter greatly to God. This is what we pulled out two weeks ago. Lost souls matter greatly to God. God will go to great length to reach one lost soul. God works through believers to accomplish his will on earth. Did you notice that God didn't just reach down and heal Dakota? He could have. He used the church to pray and speak out healing. And I don't know, maybe somebody was laying hands on him. I'm not sure what was going on, but... God didn't just reach down and heal him. He used the church to bring healing. He works through us to accomplish his will on earth. Followers of Jesus are to know his voice. And we said, wow, that's, that's a pretty full slate from 19 verses. And yet today, further thoughts even again from the conversion of Saul. Chris, now will you come and read? And we'll stand to honor God's word together. Then once you sit after this, you'll remain sitting. Stand with me, please. We want to honor God's word together, show some respect. Okay, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? Question mark. And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Question mark. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, and lowered him in the basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on, the, on, on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to uh, Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. 
Thanks, Chris. You may be seated. So you ready to learn something today? Hear a word from the Lord? There's going to be three thoughts from today's passage. All three are very relevant for us today. We might camp, no, not might. We're going to camp on the first one longer than the other two. It's not really an ouch point, but it's a cause for reflection. Do you know what the word selah is in the Psalms, what that word means? S-E-L-A-H. You're reading the Psalms, and all of a sudden you, say, you see, you come across selah. Anybody know what that means? Pause and take notice and reflect upon what you've just heard. And I think, I know for me, in this first point that I'm going to make today, there's going to be some pause for reflection. Wow, I'm pounding the pulpit today. I'm not usually a a pulpit pounder. I'm not sure where that's coming from. The first thought today comes directly from verse 20. And immediately he, Saul, began preaching about Jesus. You know the story, he was knocked to the ground by a bright light from heaven. Then the, out of the light, Jesus spoke to him. He ended up in Damascus, and he was blind, and he wasn't eating or drinking. He was in pretty much shock. God sent Ananias, another believer, to him and told him what had happened and that the Lord had this great plan for his life. And then Ananias healed him, laid his hands on him, and he, he lost his blindness and he could see. And here's the next verse. And immediately... He began preaching about Jesus. Don't miss that. And immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, really wherever he could, but in the synagogues saying, Jesus is indeed the Son of God. So immediately following his conversion, his salvation experience, some versions of the Bible actually say, within the hour, Within the hour after he was healed and had eaten and was baptized, he was out preaching the word. That's the first thought for today. When a person truly becomes a believer, ears to hear, ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. Don't take this lightly. When a person truly becomes a believer, the natural response is to to tell others about Jesus. I remember when Deb and I got saved. We were up to about 1.30 or 2 in the morning. You can correct me on this. Our house was being remodeled. We were just sitting on top of the plywood. We were so excited. We were just beside ourselves that we went out of our house and we were looking around the street in case there'd be somebody we could tell. And we were saying to each other, why haven't we known this? We have to tell people. We have to tell our moms and dads. We've got to tell our friends. Maybe they just never heard it, and we got to tell them. You know, that wasn't something we intentionally set out to do. We became truly born again, and that was the natural response. We got to tell somebody about Jesus. We honestly thought that they, for some reason, must just not have ever heard this, and if we just waltz up to them and tell them, they're going to do the same thing we did. They're going to accept Jesus and... Well, a different story, but that's not for right now. For me, it was my family. I went right to my family, my coworkers, the guys at the fire hall. I was telling everybody. 
you're not going to believe what happened to me. Unfortunately, at that time, out in the bars and not in very good places, but I was telling everybody I met about Jesus, and so was Deb. Just a quick note, the primary element of his preaching was he, Jesus, is indeed the Son of God. This is huge. This is huge for Saul. Right from the beginning, it was all about Jesus. Remember, this is Saul. This is the religious terrorist who a short while ago was killing people who said Jesus was God. Remember that? He was forcing people to recant or, ha- or be killed, and if they didn't recant their faith in Jesus, he killed them. Just a short while ago, Saul was saying that Jesus is an imposter, and now he's saying Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. Saul began to speak in favor of Jesus instead of against Jesus. And the text says that the Jews of that area, when they saw this, when they heard this, they were amazed. They were astonished. They were bewildered. They were baffled. They couldn't figure this out. They couldn't figure me out after I got saved. Whispers were going around my groups of friends. No way. Not, not, they used to call me hubby. No way, not hubby Smith. They didn't get him. But see, this is what happens when a person truly becomes converted and saved. They become an enigma to those around them. People can't figure them out. This was once Deb Smith, and she used to, and now, this is one, that was Hub Smith. He was the guy laying under the tap at the party, and now he doesn't even drink anymore? You become an enigma to people around you when you become saved. And that's what happened with Paul. They knew him as the terrorist, and now he's the evangelist. True conversion causes a radical change. True. That's the word I'll be emphasizing all day because I'm afraid that we have a lot of false conversions in the church. The church. Professing Christians. True conversion causes a radical change in the way a person thinks. It brings a person's thinking in line with God's thinking when you're truly saved, born again. That then causes a radical change in one's behavior. I never sat down at any point and said, I'm going to stop drinking and partying. But what happened is I got saved And then as I began to come to know the Lord and his word more, he told me, no more drinking, no more parting. That's what he told me. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you what he told me. He told me very clearly, if you want to be on the plan that I have for your life, these things have to go. And he changed me. He changed the way I think, which changed the way I behave. And now it's been about 40 years since I've had a drink, and I don't miss it at all. When I actually think back to those years, it kind of makes me a little sick in my stomach what life was like back then, what I thought was fun, and what I thought had meaning in life, and who I thought were truly my friends. 
which we'll talk about that just as we move on. So it was with Saul, change, radical change, immediately began preaching. Now the word preach means to announce, it means to proclaim, it means to declare. But actually what it simply means is to tell, to tell out, to especially tell in the hearing of others. This word is not a word that's used alone in the woods or in your bedroom, although there is such a thing as decreeing and declaring powerful words out, the word of the Lord, and there may or may not be anybody within your hearing, but that's not this word. This word preach means you're telling something and other people are hearing it. But don't be misled because in our culture we think of preaching as what I'm doing right now. And it is. The early church, though, did not immediately ordain and put Saul behind the pulpit and say, come and instruct us. The synagogues those days, anybody basically could stay up, stand up and give a message in the, in, the, in the service or in the gathering that they had. And we'll see from later accounts, the synagogue was Paul's primary context, but he also was telling, trying to convince unbelieving Jews that Jesus was the Messiah wherever he went. Here's the thought for us. Sila, pause, think. Saul was simply doing what all truly converted believers are to do. Tell other folks about Jesus. The one who saved us. Saul was simply doing what his new nature, actually Christ's nature in him, was compelling him to do. It seems foreign to us today because we don't see much of it. No, no nods, heads, no answers, no raised hands, but when was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? Maybe outside the circle of our friends in here. When was the last time we told somebody out there about Jesus? And yet what Scripture says is when you're truly converted, when you're born again, you're born again of the incorruptible seed of the Lord himself. Now his life is in you, and there's just something in a true believer that has to tell other people about Jesus. That's what we live for. It's not even really of us. It's Christ's love compels us. We must. Where's that drive? Seems foreign to us today but it's actually the natural, normal thing that should happen when a person is truly converted. It comes with the territory of becoming a truly born-again follower of Christ. You're born again. You're now no longer living for the old things. You're living for new things. You're a new creation. You're a new creature. Think of this analogy. Everyone gives a sigh of relief when the newborn baby cries for the first time. Why? Why? That's right. Say it loud. Because now we know the baby's alive. It's a sign of life. It's a sign of a healthy baby. If the baby remains silent and they can't bring about any verbal response, there's concern that something's wrong and they need to start checking, checking out the baby to see what's wrong. It's similar spiritually. If a person becomes truly born again and remains silent 
not telling, not sharing with others about Jesus or what has happened to them. There's concern that something's wrong. Is that really a healthy new believer? Maybe this is more of an ounce message than I thought it was. More than just reflection. As natural as it is for a newborn infant to cry, so it is for a born-again believer to tell others about Jesus. I'm not saying that it's easy or simple. There's all kinds of forces that come against us, but it's natural because there's this new nature inside of us that just has to do this. Check out this verse. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you're justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. Within the hour, after finally getting his sight back and eating something and being baptized, Paul went out and started telling others about Jesus. True biblical salvation. True biblical salvation involves personal faith. By faith are you saved, Ephesians 2.8. We're justified through faith, Romans 5.1. However, true biblical faith that truly saves also compels us now to tell others. When we lead someone to the Lord and they pray the sinner's prayer and they seem, ser- they seem really serious about it, One of the next questions I ask the next time I have opportunity is, did he or she tell anybody about what happened? When they went back to the house, did they tell them back there, back to Mono's house, that you accepted Christ over here? When you went back to your home, did you tell your family that you accepted Christ? Did you tell somebody that you accepted Christ, that something happened to you? Because it's in that profession that seals your salvation. It's in that profession that it evidences this truly happened. Just as a newborn baby that remains silent, there's great concern. A newborn Christian that remains silent, there's great concern. Is there truly Christ's life in there? Because Christ's life will witness to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will witness to Jesus through us. I know for Deb and I, it was almost like we couldn't help ourselves. Telling others about Jesus becomes natural because the believer is a new person. This is now their passion. This is now their motivation in life. When we got saved, if I could just say, so much more happened than we ever dreamed. Many of us just think, well, we turned over a new life, but we're just going to continue, you know, try and do our best, but live the way we used to live. Then that's not biblical. When you accept Christ, there's a radical change comes into your life. Your world is rocked. You still look the same on the outside, but inwardly, tremendous, earth-shattering changes have occurred. You're a new creation. You're a new creature. You just went from death to life. You went from night to day, darkness to light. The kingdom of Satan, who had you in bondage, to the kingdom of Jesus, who set you free. All this happened if you truly accepted Christ. So to truly accept Christ and then walk away and there's no change... That's reason for huge concern. A lot of professing believers out there where we don't see the change. 
I can't judge who's saved and who's not. Thank, thankfully for that. Only God knows the heart. But I know there's a lot of professing believers out there that don't have the biblical evidence of true salvation. And that's a concern. Many of them are our loved ones. That's a concern. And if we're being silent about it, that's a concern. Telling others about Jesus becomes natural for the truly converted, the truly saved. It becomes the motivation of our life. God's been saying this to us now for weeks, months, and years, but the message isn't even changing that much, but his tone is, his voice is, it's becoming more stern. I've told you this, I've told you this, I've told you this. Take it seriously. I don't have this in my notes, but it pops into my mind. Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23, scariest verses in all of Scripture. It's the end times, it's the, the last judgment, and there's a crowd of people standing before the Lord saying, but Lord, let us in because we did this and that and we did. And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You were never truly converted. That he who has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. New life has begun. And all this is from God. And God has given us, that's the salvation, you're a new person. Now what happens? God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. A message has to be spoken. If I preach to you like this, what would you gain? I have a message, but it's in here. If I'm not speaking it out, you gain nothing. And he gave us a message he saved you, and he immediately gave you a message. At the beginning, you don't know much theology and all of that stuff, but you know that you got saved. And you can start telling people, Jesus changed my life. As you learn more, you can tell more. That's why we're to study to know him, to grow in grace and knowledge of him, so we can be a greater, more effective witness. But we can start the moment after we're saved, telling people, well, you're not going to believe what happened to me. I went from death to life. I hear an amen? God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself because, see, he doesn't. He prepares the soil. He orchestrates the circumstances. He puts everything together. But God does not lead people to salvation. He gave us that responsibility. That's our role. That's our assignment. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. He gave us this wonderful message of reconcil reconcil reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal to the unsaved, to the world. God is making his appeal through us. Come back. Turn to God. Telling others about Jesus 
became the driving force, the motivation of Saul's life. The thought here is from conversion, immediately from his conversion on, the love of Christ, take it out of Saul's life, bring it down home. From conversion on, for all of us, the love of Christ in the believer now compels the believer to tell others about Jesus and about salvation in his name. And if we're not really concerned about doing that, then there, there's something probably not right. Something has to be checked out. Why not? If the baby doesn't cry, we don't take the baby home and say, oh, they'll probably be okay. They'll probably be all right later on. They never leave the hospital until we find out. Once truly converted, believers don't want anyone to be lost. The thought of someone ending up in hell, the lake of fire, very difficult for us to think about. There's a place later in Scripture where Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing the judgment that's going to come on those who don't believe, we can't keep quiet. We can't deal with that thought now that we know. We must tell people about Jesus. For Christ's love in believers, the nature of Christ in believers, compels believers to tell others about Jesus. Silah. The obvious question to be asked, how much is this the driving force in my life? How much is this my motivation for living? How much do I think about this first when I get up in the morning? Before I start complaining about everything that's negative. How much do I think about this? Now the rest of the story of that chapter, it's pretty much just narrative. Kind of tells what happens. But as we look at that, we're going to pull out two further thoughts that we can use in our lives today. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. That's Saul. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night. They lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Notice first, it was the Jews who were trying to kill Saul. Isn't that interesting? The shoe is now on the other foot. What goes around comes around. The persecutor has become the persecuted. He was after them, and they were hightailing it out, and now they're after him, and he's hightailing it out. But Saul escaped. They helped him out through an opening in the wall, and he escaped. Now, this next slide... It starts off with Saul arriving in Jerusalem, but there's something important that we need to notice. It plays into the message as we go on. It just simply says, when he came to Jerusalem, it ends with him escaping Damascus, then picks up with him coming to Jerusalem. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas brought him to the apostles. He told them how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with them and moved about speaking boldly in the name of the Lord that was in Jerusalem. So in Luke's narrative, it seems like this happened immediately. He left Damascus, 
he arrives in Jerusalem. But from other things, from Paul's own story about this through the epistles and later in Acts, we realize that there was a three-year gap between when he left Damascus and he came to Jerusalem. That's important for one of our points as we, as we get, move towards a close. Just remember, he left Damascus, he disappeared for three years, he showed up in Jerusalem. Historical research has it that he went to Arabia, and there in Arabia he entered into an intense time of study and discipleship. Preparing for this great call that he had on his life, the call that Jesus had told him about on his encounter to Damascus. Remember that. Three years. There's a three-year gap between Damascus and Jerusalem. That'll be important later. So now he's in Jerusalem, and he's he's talking and debating with the Hellenistic Jews. But they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea, and they sent him off to Tarsus. So he went through this um, assassination, a second assassination attempt. Another attempt on Saul's life. An interesting note here, though. Does anybody remember from past sermons the Hellenistic Jews? How about the Greek-speaking Jews? Wasn't that long ago. They're so captured with what you preached last week, Dan, they forgot what I said weeks before that. The Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, they were the ones who stoned Stephen. They're the ones who killed Stephen. Who held their coats while they were executing Stephen? Saul. Now he's back. But now he's radically changed. He's truly converted and saved. And he's trying to make it right. And now he's trying to tell those Jews that killed Stephen for talking about Jesus that Stephen was right. And this is who Jesus is. But they turned on him as well. And they tried to kill him. So second thought or main point for us is this. It's on the screen. Old friends and associates don't always understand when you come to know Christ. Anybody have that experience? Go try and tell somebody. I remember my dad saying, get out and stay out. I remember my best buds from the fire hall when I wouldn't come around and party anymore. Slowly just, they really didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. Old friends and associates, they don't always understand when you come to know Christ. You know, these were the guys that Paul consorted with to execute Stephen. He's going back to tell them, look, we made a mistake. Look, here's the truth. And they turned on him. Saul once was their champion. Now he's their chump. They're trying to execute him just like they executed Stephen. So maybe you have experienced some of that. It can be a rude awakening. I know for Dev and I it was. It was just like people, they don't know this because they didn't hear it. Once we go tell them, man, they're just going to be like flocking in. (laughs) That was a rude awakening, wasn't it? To be forewarned is to be forearmed. When you go to tell your old friends and associates what happened, they might not understand. If you have already experienced that, or if you do in the future, please listen to this next statement. Don't stop telling people about Jesus because of that. 
You just keep pressing on and you tell people about Jesus wherever he gives you a chance. Don't let the persecution or the ridicule or the resistance or whatever you face, don't let that stop you. Don't let Satan begin to tell you that you're in the wrong for doing that. You're just radical. Yes, he's actually right. He's absolutely right. You've become radical. You've become radical for Jesus. You've radically abandoned this life we once knew, and now you're living a radically new life in Christ. We need more of that in the church. Thank you. Well, Saul escapes again, this time to his hometown, Tarshish. And this time, Saul is off the scene. He's out of the picture for 10 years. So he had a three-year gap. He tried to come back. He went to Jerusalem, of all places. They weren't ready for him. Now he's out of the picture for 10 years. We don't hear of him again until late in Acts chapter 11. And that leads to our third and final thought. And this may speak to some of us here. There is often a period of time between the word or the call or the promise, or I should have on there the prayer assignment, there's often a period of time between when we receive that and when it's fulfilled. And the time in between often looks exactly the opposite of what we thought was going to happen. Jesus himself told Saul right at the beginning, I have this glorious plan for you. You're going to be a witness for me. You're going to be preaching the gospel. You're going to be this mighty man of God. He also told him, I want to show you some of the things that you're going to have to suffer for me. Right, Sonny? Remember that word? (laughs) Can I tell that story? (laughs) So Sonny was really flying high in his newfound faith and everything, and we were helping him move, and I got this word come into my spirit for Sonny, and I'm like, hey, can I give you a word? He's like, yeah, you know, like, what is it? I said, God just wants you to know how much you're going to have to suffer for his name's sake to accomplish your plan. (laughs) Sorry about that, brother. I didn't really think anything of it. I just went walking out, oblivious, naive. Poor Sonny's left to deal with that word. But a good word, a promise, a call, like you're going to be this great man of God, happened back here. Now we're already 13 years past that, and nothing has happened. All the, every time he tries to move out in that word, in that call, in that promise, people are trying to kill him. What's the first thing you would do? Did I hear correctly? I must not have heard correctly. Even though Jesus himself told me, knocked me to the ground and told me, even though he sent Ananias to tell me the same thing, but it's 13 years now, Lord. I must not have heard correctly. The second thing we would do, we would either back off altogether or we would just become kind of numb and indifferent and go through the motions. That's what we do. Twelve to thirteen years went by before the plan for Saul became a reality. And even after it became a reality, if you know his life, I'll tell you a definite part of that word that came true, I need to show you the things you're going to suffer as you serve me. Paul suffered probably as much as any Christian ever has suffered. But he's one of the greatest men of God that ever lived as well. But here's where the application comes down for us. Some of us in here right now, we have a word from the Lord. Or we have a call, or we have a promise, 
or we have a prayer assignment. God said, I want you to start praying for this. And we dutifully did. And now it's been a long time, and it hasn't come about. It hasn't happened. So we're walking in this discouragement. Even if we're still going through the motions, we're walking in this discouragement. Inside, we're wondering, can I really trust if, some, if I get a word or a promise? Can I even trust the promises of Scripture? Sometimes we come across a promise in Scripture, and, and we take it for ourselves, and we believe that God gave it to us, and time goes on, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. Some of us have actually given up on our words, the call of God on our life, promises that he's given us, prayer assignments that he said he would do if we would pray. We've given up on it. I know I have. Have you? Nothing seems to be happening. If you felt certain that God gave you that word, call, promise, prayer assignment, whatever, and you have been trying to be faithful, listen to me. Please, hear me. Just because it seems like nothing is happening does not mean nothing is happening. Just because it seems like nothing is happening does not mean nothing is happening. If you've given up on it, if you've walked away from it, well then, maybe something isn't happening like it should be, but God is such a forgiving God, a redeeming God, a God who who loves repentance, and if you repent and get back on, you're right back where you started from. The call, the word, the promise, the prayer assignment is back in effect, because that's who God is. Unless a deadline has passed, but then you move on to the next assignment. Are you following what I'm saying? I want to be encouraging here. All is not lost. But many of us have given up on things that God has given us, either himself or through his word or through others. We've given up on it because it doesn't seem like anything happened. Am I right? The one thing that can short-circuit the word, the call, the promise, the prayer assignment is if we give up on it. If we stop praying short before it becomes a reality. I want you to rest assured that God is working. If, if you felt certain he gave you this, you knew he gave you this. The confirmation was there. Because when God gives you one of those things, he confirms it. So you knew. And now nothing has happened and it's getting long and you've given up. Remember this, please. Don't ever doubt in the darkness what you knew was true in the light. If you knew it was true in the light, it's still true. The darkness is trying to hide it from you. Just two real quick illustrations in my own life. I knew probably a few months after we got saved that God was calling me into the ministry. The problem is it didn't happen for 15 years. And I gave up on it several times, threw in the towel. But God was so faithful, he would draw me back. I'd repent. I'd get back on that plan. I have another word. I can't tell you exactly what it is. Some of you know about it. It was a very dynamic time in the office on 3rd Street when God knocked me to the floor and gave me this word, and I wouldn't accept it. And I went through a, a whole bunch of stuff, and then finally I accepted it. And that's probably been 20 or 25 years. And just a few weeks or months ago, God brought that thing roaring back and is fulfilling it in my life, and now I see it, and now I understand it. But it's about a 25-year-old word, call on my life, that he gave me. 
I don't really have anything else to say. Does anybody have something you want to share related to what we just heard before Pauline comes and prays? Just to recap the main points, a person who's truly born again is, is compelled to tell others about Jesus because of the life of Christ in us. Once we're telling people about Jesus, especially old friends and associates and others, they might not understand. Keep on telling people about Jesus wherever God gives you opportunity. And then what was the last one? There's often this period of time between when you receive a call or a word or a promise or a prayer assignment, between when you receive it and when it's fulfilled. Don't give up in that time period. God is, is forming endurance and perseverance in us as we stand strong and we wait on God to come through. Pauline, do you want to come? And if anybody has anything, now is your opportunity to share. If not, stand with us. Band, you can sort of make your way forward while Pauline's praying, but do so quickly and quietly. Just wait till the people kind of settle down, and then you can lead us in prayer. Thank you. Lord, we just praise you this morning. Thank you for gathering us together this morning and just having that freedom yet to come and worship your name and to praise you. Thank you, Father, that you brought each and every person here today to receive that message, to open our ears, Father, to hear those words um, of encouragement, Father, that you have drawn us here, you have drawn us to yourself. We're believers, Father, and I just pray that you would just open our hearts, Father, and give us the boldness to come before you and Praise your name and give glory to all, Father. Even our trials that we go through, Father, we have to thank you for them that um, we know that you're beside us. So, Father, you are a miracle worker and uh, a way maker. And I pray, Father, that you will give each and every one of us the boldness to go speak your word to our friends, Father, to our family members, to our co-workers, Thank you, Lord Jesus, that um, you're present here with us today and just ask that you will just give us that driving force again, Father, to keep pressing forward and giving you glory. Give us the opportunities, Father, to pray together as we do during the week here as friends, Father, and reading the word together, Father, the opportunity of us reading the word together. We have that um, opportunity to read together your word and to get to know you. And we were, we were taught and, and heard that all of us believers should know God's voice. So I pray that you will just speak that familiar voice to each and every one of us as we begin to worship you here today and give you glory. And as we walk out the door, I pray, Father, that you will just speak to each and every one of us and give us direction, light our paths. Give us this word again that we heard today and allow us, Father, to communicate that throughout our lives, to not give up, persevere. 
In Jesus' name we pray, let us worship your name, Father, and give you glory. Hallelujah today. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.